Woo! <laughs> and we're off. We're back. Hey, Patrick. How's it going? We are back. We're back. I'm good. Jonna had her first Ash Wednesday. That's a milestone. It was. I don't really know what to say. It was, um, it was really cool. It, uh, you know, she got, she received ashes and was very confused as to what was happening. And it was hysterical. And she's like getting, she is practicing her voice right now. Like mm. really vocal. Yeah, me too. And it, <laughs> it's kind of tough. Like being at Lords, especially where, you know, we, there's so many kids in the pews and I've never thought twice about it. But now that it's my own daughter, yep. I'm like Gianna, you, you have to be quiet. Like, shh, take your passing. And she's like, mm -mm, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and practice these adorable noises, but See, I got to get used is, to it. And it's funny, this, we could get into a, into something else here, but this is uh, that's why now I've never had this experience, but we're in, you know that we're working at Lord's about childcare during mass. Yep. And there's really strong opinions. Uh, of course, as parents are going to have strong opinions, but about whether or not your children should be allowed to go to like a children's liturgy of the word or not, or if they just need to, this is mass, you go to mass, you sit through mass. Yep. And I, I've, I've kind of a strong opinion about this. Do you? Even though I'm not a parent. Oh, it's interesting. I feel like because of my Protestant background, yeah. And my, you know, I was there for a year or two. Um, that's all I kind of really saw. And it was like a thriving, we've talked about before, but like you drop them off, you drop your kids off and it's, it's one, it's pretty awesome. Like all the kids come out with like drawings of Jesus or, you know, whatever. And it's kind of this, it's just so different. And there's a wait, there was a wait list to be a volunteer. That's amazing. I'm not good at that. We figured that out in our staff. Like I need to be better. Like, I don't know how to get people galvanized around being on mission. I need to get better I, at that. You know, I mean, they have, it's unbelievable. I mean, they have parking attendants and walkie talkies, like it's wild. Yeah. But so that was kind of what I was used to. And, but then now I'm kind of like, I also think it may be different. Um, from the standpoint of there's so much outside of just the homily that is so amazing to teach your kids that young, right. that is different than the Protestant, you know, they get up there and talk for 45 minutes and, um, it would just be way different. I don't know. I'm still kind of up in the air. Yeah. No, I, so my take on this is I feel like at Lords, at least and probably at a lot of places, you're like a better Catholic because you made your kids sit through mass. And I'm sure there's that. an age, I'm sure there's an age that's important to start teaching your kids discipline, but I think it's dumb. Really? I do. And you know why? I just, I think that we were falling into this, like what's harder is better thing. Yeah. Which is a heresy. Yep. As we've talked about before, but, but with childcare, my thing is Catholicism is an adult faith. Now that doesn't mean we don't hand it on to our children. Of course we do. And it's, an, it's massively important for parents to talk about God in their home, to talk about their faith. Um, it's important for them to have practices like praying around meals and praying the rosary. You know, not that you have to do that every night, but you know, whatever, like, like having different customs and practices in the home 
where the faith is part of the day-to-day experience of the family. That's really important. But guess what? Kids aren't made to sit still at a certain age. I don't know the age breakdown. This is where I'll defer to parents. Kids aren't made to sit still for an hour and 15 minutes. And my thing is, is I think maybe first communion is a good marker, but I think a lot of parents would say before that they need to be sitting still in mass. Fine. But my thing is parents who are really against childcare as like less Catholic somehow. I just think you're totally wrong because all these parents tell me all the time, father Brian, I hear you have good homilies, but I haven't heard one ever because all I do for all of mass is just try to get my kids to actually sit still babysit. And I'm like, Catholicism is an adult faith. It's and your kids need to have faith. There's nowhere in the faith that says, Hey, they have this obligation that they're going to, they're going to be perfectly attentive and sit still at age five. I think, you know, this is why I think the childcare program, it's like, Hey, your kids go downstairs and for something their age, yeah. they learn the faith at their particular level. Parents actually get to listen to the word of God and to a homily. And hopefully that takes them a little bit deeper. And so when, when, and also I think we, we don't do this thing to our kids that we hear about from our parents' generation where, oh yeah, you know, Catholics, you sit still or we're going to hit you with the ruler. Yep. And that's what it is. You sit still, you hold your tongue and you're better somehow because you did something more difficult. I, that's probably a caricature, but that's, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. I think it will evolve for me. I like the option and yeah, of course parents have to choose for themselves for their kids. Yeah. Um, I also, yeah, I don't know how I feel. Um, I mean, again, I, I get it. I could see both sides, but like the cry room, I appreciate that Lord's doesn't necessarily right. cry have room, that. Cry rooms are the worst things ever. It is. Yeah. And you know what? Ha- <laughs> we, we have had to sit in there a few times of when we've gone elsewhere where it's like the, all the other seats were taken and you show up late. So it's like an easy, like didn't see me kind of thing. Right. But what happens all the time is the priest will leave the mic on and it's like the direct feed from the speaker and you will hear word for word, like the actual, and the priest is like singing or whatever. It's like a very intimate experience of they like totally for, or when they receive the Eucharist, and it's like chewing in the mic totally that you, that you wouldn't necessarily hear in the church. Um, By the way, I just want to just pat myself on the back be a little arrogant. I'm good at, which is not a big deal. I'm good at turning my mic off for those. Like yeah, I, you I are. always turn my mic off when I consume the Eucharist. Yeah. Which is kind of imperative. Otherwise it, yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know how far I can go with that, but it is nice when you just don't hear it. Well, I do want to, it's kind of funny. I'm like, parents, you should be doing this. And I kind of hate it when parents like, priests should be doing this. So, totally so I'm a hypocrite, but I do think that I do think that we're a little bit too uptight sometimes about, kids have to be in mass and mom and dad don't even get to like listen and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But today we're not talking about that. That's right. I do want to give a shout out. Patrick and I are going to a wedding. Yep. Not as a couple. Sort uh, of actually. But we are traveling together. I am to your this plus wedding. one. Yeah. So we're going uh, to a wedding this weekend. So a shout out to the bride and groom, Keenan and Nicole. Uh, blessings on their, their marriage. So awesome. Keenan coming through RCIA. It's, that's going to be so rad. Um, sh- yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. My shout out, President Zelensky. Do you I don't want to get, do you think he listens? I, man, <laughs> be some form of encouragement. I would love it. Yeah, prayers for him. Pass it on if anyone knows. He, that whole, I mean, 
And that's kind of where I, I want to pick your brain on um, the whole Ukraine thing. But it's also been interesting to see how social media and where we're at affects it is a game changer for war and, and absolutely the instant feedback and, and response time of I was thinking about the other day, like World War II, you know, three weeks later, you're reading in the newspaper some story. This is somebody is posting. Yeah, you find out about like D Day. Even like a week later. That's right. Um, even that Snake Island. I don't know if you saw that where the soldiers <laughs> said something back to the Russian ship, but the guy, one of the soldiers, was live feeding that video or the video of it. Yeah. And it's just a game changer for the whole war scenario. But the fact that Zelensky and even the Klitschko brothers and some pretty high profile men have gone back to fight and standing their ground. And Steph and I had a pretty serious talk of like, that would be the hardest decision of all time to not sneak away with Steph and Gianna. And like, how can you part ways? And then at the same time, how can you not stay and fight? Like, right. I, I hope to God I'm never in that position, but it's pretty admirable. And, and when Zelensky I almost bought this sweatshirt the other day that said, um, I, I need ammunition. I don't need a ride. When Zelensky said that back to Biden yeah, about getting line. him out of there. And it's just, I don't know, man, courage it is. Courageous. Courage is um, I mean, courage inspires people more than almost anything. Yeah. When, when there's truly, and, and I don't, you know, I know less about this probably than most people. Cause I haven't, I followed it but I haven't been in the weeds as much, but he seems like a very courageous man. So yeah, it's uh, it's a really interesting, it's kind of the first time too. Cause even, you know, Afghanistan, all that kind of stuff. I was so young. It's the first time that I can actually process and have empathy and try to understand some of that stuff. I've never really gone through, you know, even most recently the exit, a lot of that stuff. It just is such a, foreign topic for me that this is now my first time where I can like actually digest it as a growing up, even though I hit that stage a while ago, but it's, I don't know. It's been a different experience. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's wild. I know all of us are kind of, we're kind of reeling from the fact that this actually happened. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's possible, but it is. And human nature doesn't change. And this, <clears throat> this is so important. The modern world, uh, the enlightenment the big word for the enlightenment, which was the philosophical and political ideology of the 18th and 19th centuries, which is carried through into our own time. It's now mingled with postmodernism and all kinds of things. But the enlightenment's keyword was progress. And what it always said, and that's, you know, like, like I, I've, I've imbibed, I've drunk deeply of um, the enlightenment philosophy because the Enlightenment believed in progress, and it believed that with with their own kind of philosophy taking prominence in the world, there wouldn't be wars anymore. And so things like science and hyper-rationalism, they, they, what basically the Enlightenment said is, now that we get rid of Christianity, Christians fight each other. The, 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 um, the Enlightenment invented the myth about religion being the source of all conflict. And they did that because there was, there's a grain of truth in it. Not all, but there's, there was fighting happening previous to the enlightenment between Catholics and Protestants across Europe, yep. which in many ways caused the enlightenment, at least parts of it. 
It's obviously much more complex than that. But the Enlightenment then took this and they said, war is what causes, or I'm sorry, religion is what causes wars. And one of the messages I want to have, if you're, you know, just for anybody out there is that human beings are always the same in every age. We're always capable of war. It's hard to believe because we've, we've drank deeply, drunken deeply of that enlightenment philosophy, but on brothers and sisters, like there's mankind has issues and always will. And, and so we shouldn't be shocked that there's still people out there who are power hungry uh, and who are warmongers. Honestly, I was, I was listening to, uh, he's kind of like the modern day stoic, um, Ryan holiday. I don't know. He wrote a, he wrote a book, um, called ego is the enemy. And he has become obsessed with stoicism. Interesting. And, um, I know I actually, it's pretty crazy. He's a huge author. Um, and I actually went to high school with him. Yeah. It's pretty anyways knowing him in high school and where he's at now i'm like what how is this possible he but he's a fantastic guy but anyways he was um talking about um the meditations of marcus aurelius yes and the opening line was basically like talking about how to have the best intentions but knowing that the man you're looking at could easily stab you in the back Um, And it was kind of that topic of just like, it's so wild that that long ago, it was the same old stuff, different day, same story. And you know, the, the cliche history repeats itself. Yep. And it's like, you go through this time, there's radical change and motivation, and then it gets wiped away in the history books. And here we are again. Yeah. Stoicism has a lot of overlap with Christianity. It's nice. so much so that Jesus sometimes is, um, scripture scholars will compare him to ancient Stoics, but there's also radical differences. The, one of the, one of the biggest differences is a Stoic. What they'll talk about. I wish, uh, I can't remember the Greek word. There's a Greek word that they had for, um, basically returning to yourself. And this is right at the center of the Stoic idea, which is that outside of you is distraction and noise and all these things in the world. And what you need to do is you need to turn away from that and return to yourself. And like epistrophe, that's it. So the, I so was going to suggest that. Yeah. So epistrophe is the Stoic word that's at the heart of their philosophy. And honestly, that sounds like some of my sermons. And some of the just, and not just my sermons, but the Christian idea, which is you could go to a lot of Catholic churches out there and the priest might be talking about, Hey, the world's full of distractions. You need to to turn away from those things and the noise of the world and from pleasure and fear and hatred. And you need to return to yourself, epistrophe. But the, the, so there is a similarity, but here's the big difference between Catholicism and Stoicism. The big difference is the the Christian word is not epistrophe, it's metanoia. And metanoia is the word in the New Testament that means repentance. But it means meta is to change, right? Like I always say, metamorphic rock is, uh, morphe is the Greek word, one of them for form. And meta means to change. And so metamorphic means a change of form. But, um, 
So metanoia, noose is the word for mind. And so, but, but here's what it means in the New Testament. So epistrophe for the Stoic means return to yourself. The Christian idea is not return to yourself. The Christian idea is what the gospel was today, this morning at mass, which was uh, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so the, the Christian doesn't look to himself for the source of enlightenment or wisdom. There's good there. I don't want to, I want to see the good in stoicism because there is some good there, but we don't, we don't look to ourselves for wisdom. The Christian looks to God. Returns to God. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. Cause I've always kind of wondered that when I hear the overlap of stoicism and I like for anybody that studies stoicism, how can you not be Catholic? Because of yep. the, the broad stroke, just, um, perception and the, the message behind it, it, yeah, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. It really is. Um, okay. But we got to talk about today's topic. That's right. Cause we're off, we're off. Uh, per usual. And a shocker. Hey, what we want to talk about today, everybody. So if you've been reading any of the news and maybe you didn't get to this one, but in the Catholic news, there's within Ukraine, the conflict, there's another, there's a, a Christian piece of the story. And what that is, is that the, um, the patriarch of Moscow, and I'm going to forget his name in here somewhere, but, um, here it is. It's patriarch Kirill of Moscow. So he is the patriarch, the archbishop, if you will, of Moscow. And he's been aligned with Putin. And it's one of the stories about the, uh, that's been out there is it looks like Putin is trying to unify Russia and these kind of former Soviet, Soviet kind of states. And he's trying to use orthodoxy, right? Eastern orthodoxy, Russian orthodoxy uh, as a tool to kind of do that. And today we want to talk about a little bit is like why you cannot have a national Christian church why that's massively problematic, which not just to condemn Russia, which is doing this right now and has done it. And honestly, this is maybe the greatest Catholic critique of Russian or not just Russian Eastern Orthodox religions is they tend to, um, they tend to disintegrate into national churches. And we'll talk about that in a minute, why that's a problem and what that means. But also this should be a critique for us. Good Catholics. Hopefully if you're listening, you're a good Catholic or on your way. It's a, it's a warning to us also in the United States. You can't have a national church. So I'm, yeah, I'm so fascinated because I am still trying to wrap my head around. So I'm excited for you to explain it, but like the national church yeah, and that stance, um, what I will say, and I had mentioned it to you before, but Steph and I watched a documentary the other night on, on Putin and I was blown away how in, you know, he is quote unquote Russian Orthodox they basically rolled out, they showed a clip when he was going through church. I don't know if they call, I don't, I am still so confused on this orthodoxy thing, but if they call it mass or whatever it is, and he's walking through and they basically rolled out the red carpet. Yep. And it was like, how in the world, given his background, who he is, knowing what he's done. And, and it was kind of this whole thing of how he is trying to use the church to prop up his power and, uh, it was just mind-boggling watching this thing kind of play out, and um, 
so yeah, I am super curious on what you mean by net, like the national church. So, so our church is Catholic and Catholic means the good news. <laughs> nope. Dang it. I know this. We've talked, uh, you caught me so off guard right here. Sorry. That's what I do. Someone told me that when I do this, they were listening in their car and they knew the answer and they were like so excited. They're like, I know this one. I know this one. Well, yeah. please. If yeah. Phone. A fr- I wish I could phone a friend. Someday we got to figure out a way to do like a, a live, live one. show. We got to go book a call in. bring it onto social and do a, do a live feed. Oh man. God. So Catholic means I'm going to phone you in. It's kataholos is the two Greek words that are conjoined to make the word Catholic. And it means starts with a U. Union. Close, but no. Unicorn. <laughs> the unicorn church. The, not the galaxy, but the. Universal. Yes. Dang it. Yep. So. You know what we're also going to do? Time out. Christmas party. I got those. I somehow, of course, me. We did a white elephant. I love that we just jumped from that, universe. That's right. No, this Christmas is going party. somewhere. I we're gonna have an episode somehow. White elephant. I land with Catholic trivia flashcards, and I'm gonna come in and quiz you on those. And when I find the one that you don't know, I'm gonna be so excited. But it was uh, like 400 flashcards on like Catholic trivia, and I'm gonna get you one. Catholic of these days. trivia. Yeah. So Catholic means universal. And, and here's the deal with this is that the whole message of the gospel is that in the old Testament, right? God's revelation, his salvation was tied to a nation. To the Jews, to Israel. Exactly. Yes. But in the new Testament, the, the salvation that God brings is universal. Because, and I think, okay, so is that where you can make the next step to say, it's written on your heart. Like it's, it's tied universal. Like, yeah, like it's in not Romans, just in Israel. St. Paul okay. says that. Yep. Yep. But, yes. but the gospel is for all nations. He's, he's so, heating up. So, so what's happening here, he's heating up, warming up one for two. <laughs> That's right. 50% baby. Dang it. Um, but the, the gospel, the truth of what Jesus taught, it shouldn't be different in Russia from Greece to, to, to different nations. Now I want to put it, we'll put a caveat on that in a second here, but the, the, the Eastern Orthodox churches, which want to recognize they're beautiful. They're amazing. They have a lot to teach us in the West. And I actually, and I really mean that. I'm not just saying that I get, I, in my world, if you listen to this podcast, you know that I'm always concerned that we've we're this like rigid mechanical church in the West that is just we have the answer to everything and you follow these rules and you check these boxes and it becomes rigid and, and has no place for mystery. The Eastern church has place, has a place for mystery, a prominent place. So I'm, I'm, they have a lot of good to offer us, but what happened when the Orthodox churches split from Rome in 1054 is that churches broke down into national churches. So you have the Greek Orthodox church, the Russian Orthodox church, the Armenian Catholic church, right? On and on and on. Uh, the Coptic Catholic Church, or, um, Orthodox Church, which is in Egypt. And what happens is, is that the gospel then becomes um, determined and united to nationalism. And this is the counter, this is the opposite of the gospel. 
So this is why, like when I came to Lords, one of the only times I've ever gotten in trouble with people was I moved the American flag out of our sanctuary. I love our country, but Catholicism is not about America. It's about a universal church and it's about universal. It's about God saving the whole world. And you can't be a Catholic and be like. America's America's version is better. Yeah. I mean, you can, you're supposed to love your country. I love our country, but we know what I hope for our country is that it conforms itself to the gospel, not vice versa. And so this is the danger of nationalism. And this is what Putin's doing right now is that the church becomes indistinguishable from the interests of the state. Oh, okay. And God is bigger than that. And so there's, there's a long history to this, but I just want to cite, um, like in Ephesians two, for instance, um, remember that you were at that time, this is speaking of the Gentiles is one of my, I've probably read this on the podcast before. I love this passage. Uh, Ephesians two twelve. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, right? This is before Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made us both one, one, and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and he goes on and on and on. Ephesians 4 lists seven unities of the church. It's all over the New Testament. But, but the point here is that, and I want to make one caveat to this. So remember the, remember the parable of the leaven in the bread? No. So Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a measure of leaven. Let's see if I can find it really quick. Uh, Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. till it was all leaven. <laughs> the word of the Lord. Uh, come on. <laughs> Classic example of what, what did you, just what say? just happened? Here's the, the point of that parable is that the leaven permeates everything. So there's two extremes. So one extreme would say, um, the church and the state are the same thing. So this is what na Russian nationalism is. Okay. And what it looks like is happening to the church in Russia is it's being simply identified with the state of Russia. The other side would be, oh, so if it's not national, then it's just got to be the spiritual thing. And this is the American version of this is it's not connected to the state at all. And it's just this kind of spiritual thing. And you can be a Catholic in your private life, but the, the state operates completely independently of Catholic ideas. And here's, and this is a little tricky, but here's the deal is that the, the kingdom of God is much greater than any country, but it's not meant to be a private matter. It's meant to infiltrate every aspect of our lives, everything. Which is why, there's times when you are so passionate for me, when I'm so passionate about Catholicism and it's supposed to permeate, I wish it was a way of life from the state. Like, does that make sense? Where it it's should like, be. yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, I'd rather just have a law that you need to go to mass every Sunday. And yeah. So you're not like justifying questioning, um, 
or like justifying your stance, you yeah. know, it'd be a lot easier to just point at the state. I'm, I'm reading a book right now. Patrick's heard me talk about it. it, it I've been reading it slowly because it's a very rich, kind of dense read. Um, <laughs> Father John Neppel got, it, got me to read it. It's very, very good by a guy named David Schindler. Yeah, David C. Schindler. His father is also David Schindler. It's a little confusing. Yeah. But, but it's talking about this. And it's really, really interesting stuff. It's called The Politics of the Real. And uh, we should wish that because here's because what, what, what he argues in this book, part of what he argues, he argues a lot of things, is that the, the church is the extension of the incarnation. So God breaks into this world. And so things become concrete and flesh. It's not just ideas out in the clouds. Yep. But things are things become in flesh. They become real, and they're they're meant to be lived out. And so, actually, the Catholic vision of the world is that the leaven permeates everything. And so here's so get this. So here's where Moscow comes from. Here's some of the history on this. So the ancient idea of this, a lot of the ancient thinking in the ancient world, was because the the church penetrated the Roman Empire. And think about this. So the Roman Empire encompassed many different nations, actually. So within the Roman Empire, you have Jews, you have Greeks, okay. you have yep. Italians. Yep. I don't know if they, they probably just called themselves Latins back then. You have Gaul, which is modern-day France. You've got Germania. You've got all these different nations, but they were unified. And there was, there was the emperor and the pope. Oh, crazy. Okay. And this is a really complex topic because there were, there was a lot of good there and there were a lot of problems. But what happened was after Rome collapses and here's where, here's the history of why this is so interesting. So Rome collapses in the West. My dates are really bad, but I want to say like seventh century. There's, there's phases of it. It's it's already collapsing in the fifth century with Augustine. But, um, after Rome collapses, and even in the time of Constantine, so in the fourth century, even Constantine, the, the Roman emperor, he moves the empire, the seat of the empire from Rome to a place he called Byzantium or Constantinople. Okay. Yep. Which is where? Uh, nope. <laughs> it's right it's on it's in greece and uh borders turkey oh man um but anyway so the uh the, the they called it the second rome okay so the emperor moved there and this is where a lot of the history with the, with the eastern orthodox churches kind of is a little complex but what happens is that some of the orthodox would say well, the real authority of the church moved to Constantinople when the emperor moved there. And so... Oh, interesting. And so, they, so in the Eastern Church, Greece and, and the, the patriarch of Constantinople would claim an authority that's very high. They still... It's, it, it depends on who you talk to, but generally they would still see that the Pope is the ultimate authority. Um. Even if they there they say you know he's become a heretic and we're in schism with him, but it moved to 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 Constantinople. But then get this: when Constantinople falls, when you have the Muslims invading, uh, the Fourth Crusade, of course, sacks Constantinople. Um, 
But when the Muslims invade and when, when Constantinople really is no longer a thing, Moscow refers to itself as the third Rome. What? Yep. Why? How? So they claim that the, that the spiritual authority passed and the empire passed to Moscow. That the Orthodox faith, that it was carried, and they, they, they literally will still talk about this, that Moscow, they referred to the, the Russian Orthodox, referred to it as the third Rome. And so this is part Whoa. of what Putin's doing, is playing on this history. And so Moscow believes itself to be in a place where it's where the Roman Empire, they're, they're, they're the, they've inherited the Roman Empire, and they're the true heirs of it. And hence, that's why he's trying to expand. I'm still not, you know, I'm still very confused on his justification for Russia to Ukraine and, and all this kind of stuff. But is that what he's using to basically expand? It's, it's at least part of it. This is a little it. like hypothetical. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that he's said anything about this, but there's been speculation that this is at least part of his motivation. And certainly, um, the, uh, there's been controversy because it happened now is at least two bishops in Ukraine. So when we have the Eucharistic prayer at mass, right. And you go to mass and the priest is up there praying and he'll say, for Francis, our Pope, and Samuel, our Bishop, for Jorge, his assistant Bishop, all the clergy, uh, the entire people you have gained for your own. And it goes through all that list. Yeah. So in Ukraine, they're under the Patriarch of Moscow in the Orthodox world, which is in schism from our church, from Catholicism. But in their Eucharistic prayer, they'll mention the Patriarch, the Bishop of Moscow. And that's... And what happened is two of them in Ukraine stopped. Oh, savage. And so the, the, <laughs> this, this patriarch in Moscow is livid and is saying, this is schism. This is theological uh, heresy. Um, anyway, if you're a little confused, that's fair. But, but the, the really interesting thing behind this, I think, is that the church in the state, I think, in a, in a fully Catholic vision, because here's the problem with America. And this is, this is like way too deep of stuff to do with today's podcast. But here, the problem with America is America pretends that it doesn't have a national religion or a national worldview that everyone must subscribe to. So we, all yeah. of us get, none of us want a theocracy. A theocracy right. would be like where priests are politicians and like Muslim, like Sharia law. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like there are major problems with that. We don't want that. The church, the church knows that there's problems with that. But the problem with America is we pretend that we don't have a dominant worldview that governs everything that encompasses views of religion and philosophy and all these things. We do. And that's what David Schindler is arguing in this book, which he has thoroughly, I already knew this, but he has thoroughly convinced me about the truth of this. Uh, our, our, our democracy, what it does is it enshrines tolerance and a, um, a certain neutrality towards religion above religion itself. So the ultimate, so you can believe whatever the heck you want to believe as long as you don't actually think it's true publicly, as long as you keep it private. Yep. And so that, that the American idea of tolerance 
what it actually does is it enshrines govern the government above the church. Oh, that's crazy. That's what it does. And so the government becomes the highest authority and yep. Moscow, right. Is also doing something really, really evil. The government there is higher than the church as well. Is it's making the church a tool in its playbook. Yep. And that's, we can obviously see that one's easier to see that one's, and I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into America today because this book is really complex and we'd be here for like three hours. Um, but I do think one of the things we want to get to is like, so the, think about the leaven. So the leaven enters the, the measures of the, the loaf and it, it touches everything. So the, so the kingdom of God is meant to touch everything, but it's bigger than that. So the church of God is not the same thing as America. It's not the same thing as Russia. It transcends all of these realities while it permeates every, it should permeate every culture. And that's why lastly, and then I'll kind of bite my tongue. It's why Rome is so important. It's why the papacy, the papacy became the symbol of universality. Um, so the Pope, right, is meant to be that symbol that the church is, doesn't belong to any nation. It's, it's above all of them, but it's meant to permeate each of them. And the good news about this, I, I always have one more point. The good news about this is that, you know, the, the, I talked about the national churches earlier. Truth doesn't change based on your zip code, but it is supposed to be manifested in each nation and it's supposed to fit in there to each nation's culture. So here's my analogy for this. It's actually Balthazar's, which is the symphony, which we've talked about before. But, but in a symphony, you can have different cultures. So like the Greek culture, the Egyptian culture, the Chinese culture, the American culture, all those cultures, what they can do, they don't have to become something else when they become Christian or become Catholic, but they are all in the same symphony. So a violin doesn't become a cello. Yep. Right. Doesn't become a clarinet. All these things have a place there, but they have to play what the composer kind of is dictating. So would you say that there isn't a form then within the church's perspective of like cultural relativism? Depends on what you mean by cultural relativism. Like, and I guess I'm thinking of, I don't know why this was like hammered into me, but um, at CU, we had to write this big paper of like cultural relativism, meaning that like um, something that is acceptable or unacceptable here is different in the way that that nation, um, whether it was slavery or um, how it progressed on its own, basically. And like the other one that I think of is like someone like Michael Vick, who, um, you know, the dog killed animals and the dog yeah. fighting and all that kind of stuff. And then Adrian Peterson, um, and I forget what you call it, where he was using a stick to discipline his son, like a tree branch. Oh, interesting. Um, and while totally wrong, and, he, and both obviously got in a lot of trouble, that yep. was how they were raised. Like yeah. that in their, not necessarily in those examples, culture, but in that neighborhood, in that, I think that's how you were brought up. Yeah. And so that's where it's different where it's like, okay, can you really say or know that on their heart, they knew it was wrong, but they were 
you know, trained differently or right. is that a different, like, how do you justify that? Would the church have a stance on that? So it depends on the issue. So I think Aquinas is, this is where Aquinas' formulation is so good. The where he, that line he has about, um, in essentials, unity in non-essentials, diversity in all things, charity. So mm-hmm. there can't really be in morality, for instance, okay. at least, at least of things there, there, let me say it this way in terms of objective and grave kind of moral issues, there's not really a lot of wiggle room in those things. Got it. Um, there might be in some, there's some moral issues that, you know, like think of parenting, right? Like, yeah. There are some issues in parenting that are just non-negotiables. Uh, feed your kids food. <laughs> you yeah. Know, like totally. you can't break that one. Yeah. But di- like in areas of discipline with your kids, there's a line somewhere. I don't, I yep. don't know that I want to take a position on this podcast where the line is totally, but there's a line somewhere that would be wrong for anyone to cross. Okay. But there might be people who disagree about like, can you ever spank a kid? I think obviously you can. I think that's, I think you probably should spank your children, even though my sister-in-law because my we never got spanked as kids, and my sister-in-law gives my mom grief about that. <laughs> but, but somebody could disagree with that, you know. Yeah, and I yeah. Think that's okay. So, it, it, is it essential or is it non-essential? And I, so, there is a line somewhere. And in the church, we would say so. With the the Orthodox churches, they do things a little differently. But in most, in almost all the the essential areas, they see things the same as us but it looks different. If you go to a Byzantine divine liturgy is what they call it. Instead of mass, you go to a Byzantine divine liturgy. I would say you're going to feel like a Protestant coming to a Catholic mass. Okay. Lots of incense, lots of chanting. Everyone sings a lot, not just like now we're at the communion hymn, but you're singing like all the time in a Byzantine liturgy. Um, so there are differences and there's differences of ways they think about things. But generally, um, in my mind, they're, they're very complimentary. It's like a symphony. Uh, okay. And then this is probably another podcast, I would guess. But like the Byzantine Mass, I know you've mentioned it with like, if I went to a Greek Orthodox church, my confession would not be valid. So, right? if, yeah, most likely not. So they have to, you can, well, it'd be valid, but illicit is the church's language. Okay. So, you, so, so we believe so priests in the Eastern Orthodox churches are priests. Unlike Anglicans or pro, other Protestants, yep, yep. Anglicans consider themselves Protestants. Um, so, and that's fine. We can say just Anglicans separately, but like a Protestant, if you had like a Lutheran priest, yeah, wouldn't be valid. Meaning that your confession would not actually have happened. Okay. You, your sins would not have been forgiven through that act. If you went to a Russian Orthodox priest or a Greek Orthodox priest, it's a valid confession. Like they have authority to forgive sins, but it's illicit, meaning that because they've broken communion with Rome, it's something that we shouldn't do unless it's danger of death. Got it. So you might have the authority to, you might, you might have be able to do something real, but you, you, you shouldn't have done it. Okay. That's kind of the way the church is saying that. And then to circle back on this though, here was in mass, when you do say, um, you know, Archbishop Pope sure. Francis, Archbishop, his assistant, Jorge, um, I would assume that. So the issue is, is that mandatory? Obviously it changes from diocese to diocese, yeah. but 
It is. So the liturgy okay. doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the church. It belongs to God. And so I can't, I can't just kind of like be like, yeah, yeah. There's now there's parts the church says, like for instance, when I do Eucharistic prayer one, which you all love out there because it's the longest one. Um, when you go through the saints, so um, you go through like the popes, for instance, and you say, in communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the most glorious ever Virgin Mary, mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, Thomas, John, James, Philip, Bartholomew. All right, you go through all these. There's a section there that in the Missal itself, the church allows you to skip a number of names. And I usually do on Sundays just to speed things up because I know I'm already going to go long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So only, so the church makes allowance for that. But, but, but this just, but this, this whole thing with the Orthodox bishops in Ukraine though, this begs the question about Rome. Yep. So the church's, the reality of the church is a supranational reality. And for all my good friends out there, I have the same temptation, but I do want to say this publicly. The Catholic Church is not the Republican Party in the United States. It's not. I know you've said that before. Yeah. It's not. And, yeah. and we have to be really careful about that. And if, you're, if you kind of come from the world I come from, we're so angry at Democrats that we, that we and I'm angry at Democrats too. I mean, this, this pro-abortion bill they tried to pass last week is so evil, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're Republicans. You can vote Republican. You can be a Republican. That's fine. But not first. You're Catholic. And the Catholic Church is not the same as the Republican Party. And we, we're going we're to get in real hot water and we have real problems if we start thinking that they're the same thing. That's heavy. How can, so is it also the same, I feel like, and I, I don't truly understand it, but Italy is kind of the same way a little bit. Like you would think because of Rome, that Italians would be hand in hand with the state. Like they live that certain way, but it, it isn't that way. Right. Like aren't. Yeah. So the, if you go back to that symbolism, the, the ancient church, they, they talked about the doctrine of the two swords. Um, and what they believe was that God had given, and this is what it's about. And this is super deep stuff. What it believed is that, Human beings, and this is even a little controversial, or at least it's not as simple as it sounds, is that human beings had two ends. And what does that mean? So an end means fulfillment, goal, telos, purpose. And so you could say there's a, there's a natural end to man, but even that's problematic. And it's probably too much for this podcast. But human beings have a natural end. So on the natural level, we need to be virtuous. We need to live lives where we're ordered, where we obey the laws, where we tell the truth and are, you know, living earthly good lives. So, so there's, there's that end. The other end is eternal beatitude, which is heaven. It's union with God. And so the ancient church, there's a passage when Jesus is in Gethsemane, I think it's in Mark's gospels version. There's two sorts. And Jesus says, it is enough. Let us go. And the ancient church tended to interpret the two swords as corresponding to those two ends of man. So in your life, Patrick Deveni, 
you can't just live a spiritual life of union and deny your human life. You need to be a citizen. You need to be able to support your family. You need to, you know, kind of be a part of the human community in Colorado. And so the, the ancient church said, well, there's a sword for that, meaning a power and authority, which aren't the same thing, but there's an authority for that, which is the king. But your, other, but your ultimate end is union with God. And so there's an authority with that for that, which is the church. Oh, okay. You see this? Yeah. And so, so in the ancient world, what they saw was fitting though, and they thought it was divinely ordained, is that you had this empire that was universal. It seemed to the ancient Europeans. They weren't called that yet. But they, they, they were like the Roman Empire. It's, it's not, it transcends nationalities. It's not just Italy. Yep. It's not just France. It's not just Germany or Britain or Israel or whatever. It's, it's, and so the emperor becomes the symbol of earthly authority. And his job is to maintain order and earthly authority. But the Pope was seen as a higher authority than him. Because the end, the, the goal of heaven is a higher goal than any earthly goal. Whoa. And more important than your earthly life. And so the Pope became, and what's really interesting now, in the United States and in Western democracies, the church was the critique, was, the, was what checked the government. So if the emperor did something immoral, the Pope would call him to obedience and repentance. What? Yep. Yep. And today it's flipped. Right. So, so what do we do today? Conflicts between, between like religions or like denominations within Christianity. What happens is we go to Caesar and the government becomes the authority that is over the churches, which there's a long history of how that happened. Uh, Oh, Fascinating stuff, isn't it? Crazy. And I, as you're saying that, I'm starting to, okay, so then this is somewhat feels like it's starting to click for me here. The, if the church can be the, the litmus test because Jesus and God were free of sin, right? Okay. Well, yeah, of Jesus. course, of course. There, yeah, there's no sin in God. Right. And, but that's, and I guess Mary, but. Correct. The only true sinless examples and the government were human, right? So it will always have that sin involved. So creating the government above it, like you're never going to achieve um, the sinless model. So sure. it, it always has the potential of being corrupt. Sure. No way. Well, and the church does too, because the, the you know, correct. Yes. Obviously within history, but I think, um, how would I, how do I describe this? The, um, the church, the, the state has its own proper sphere where it is, it's supposed to operate without the church interfering. Like, yeah. And so the, 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 these are, these are deeper issues than we can resolve, you know, in the, our time here. If any, if you, I do. If, if you want to read a, a very thoughtful book on this, this, this book, the politics of the real by David C. Schindler is amazing. And it kind of lays out the different ways that we could get this wrong and all the different nuances, but the, the state, the government of a, of a, of a state has its own proper authority. 
right. it does. And so does the church. And so, and they're not simply the same thing. Yeah. And so priest, we, no one wants, I don't want to be a politician. I don't want to, I don't want to run the budget of Denver. Right. Like I now, so, so there, there is a distinction. Yep. But at the same time, it's not, a, it's not just a plain distinction, just like in you. And this is one of the analogies that David Schindler uses is that in you, in your life, um, the, you have a soul and you have a body and they're distinct. They're not the same thing, but they're in one person. So your soul permeates your body. Yeah. Right. And so, and your soul ultimately has authority over your body. Even if your body has a proper um, sphere of influence is not to be simply reduced to the soul. Right. And you, th- this is a problem when we meet people who are overly spiritual. Yeah. And they're like, I don't need friends. I just, I just impose, no, it's like, yes, you do. You're human. Like, and you're supposed to take care of your body and you're supposed to have human things in your life. But the spiritual is supposed to penetrate that. So it's a, it's a tricky relationship as to how this works. Um, and I, I'm kind of off. I don't even know where we're no, going. No, and this, now this reminds me of two where you say um, doctrine versus like the church can have an opinion, but not an official church stance. And certain, I forget where we've talked about that before on certain topics. Sure. But it's not actually in the catechism. Like, it's not a, a point where I think we've talked about where like the Pope will weigh in on stuff, but it doesn't make it church doctrine. Yeah. There, there are plenty of things like that. I mean, and, and part of it, I mean, th- these are deep waters. The church, part of what we're talking about here today, and part of why this is so important is the government the government forms us. Yeah. Our culture forms yeah. us. So does the church. <clears throat> and part of the problem in the United States is that we think the government doesn't form us. We've, we've lied to ourselves that we're like, we're just neutral towards all philosophies and all worldviews. We're, we're neutral. And that's incredibly naive. Yeah. It's incredibly naive. Um, the United States in a lot of ways and France and all modern democracies there was a, there was a very conscientious move to move away from Christendom and from the idea of the faith being a public concrete manifestation of the order of society. N.T. Wright says it this way. N.T. Wright's an Anglican who I talk about a lot, who I respect a lot. N.T. Wright says the enlightenment, one of their goals was to kick God back into heaven. Oh, and so they're fine with you believing in God. You can believe in him in your private life. All you want, just leave him in heaven, but don't, don't bring him to the school board meeting. And if we're talking about transgenderism, like you can believe in God all you want. Just don't bring him to the school board. Yeah. Right. Um, and again, we don't have time and or, and today, or it gets nitpicked and, and, you know, kind of cherry picked in a way to manipulate religion to try to justify some of that stuff like well you know god loves everybody therefore be what you want and and any of that kind of stuff it gets super complicated yeah and so to try to wrap this up i think you know with 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 what's happening 
with between Putin and the Russian Orthodox Church is more complex than you might think it is. I yeah. It's much more complex than you might think. And actually some of the idea of of the Russian Orthodox Church and its kind of relationship to the state of Russia, there's actually more of a Christian idea in there than you might think. Because if if you really believe in God, and if he really is, if he has revealed all truth, that can't just be something that affects you on Sundays. It affects everything. And one of the problems in our democracies, as much as I love them, one of the problems is we pretend that our government doesn't have a philosophy of life. Yes, it does. It does have a philosophy of life. And part of the way it does it is it neuters religion. It neuters it. And so the idea, so like all governments, what they do is they have to base their laws on what they think is good for human beings. And what happened in after the enlightenment is that we became, we decided to give up on religion and let's just kick that out of all public discourse. And so then we talk about what's good for men, what's good for humanity. And by the way, this is part of the reason why we can't ban pornography in our culture, which is absolutely destructive because we've given up on an idea of man of what's good for human beings because we've kicked God out of earth into heaven. So we don't believe in the soul anymore, but it, yeah. And we don't believe in, in morality really anymore. As long as we don't cause physical harm, the, the limit in America's philosophy of life is, is very physical. You're not really harming someone as long as you don't physically harm them. That's like the, there's the famous Thomas Jefferson line where he says, um, what do I care? I'm going to butcher this, but he says, what do I care if someone believes in many gods or one God? It neither breaks my arm, nor does it steal from my bank account or something like that. And so he's like, it doesn't matter. Religion's irrelevant. And that's, that's America. Oh, that's deep. What about, so last point, last question here, who, who will ultimately be the final say on the two was it pre-search, but who was it that removed two bishops, the two um, bishops that removed the Orthodox? Well, and this is the problem with Eastern Orthodoxy. Yeah. Is that once you abandon the Pope, like, like, so, you know, Popes can do bad things too. You know, of course they can. We all know that. So this, this patriarch of Moscow, it just begs the question of who really has authority. Yeah. Cause if, if, if you get to stop praying for, and everyone could put their, themselves in Ukraine shoes. Like, oh my gosh, this supposed bishop is justifying the murder of our nation and our people. I can understand, of course. But if, but if, we, get to, if we can decide, hey, this bishop's been bad, let's take him out. We're no longer under him. The, the, the unity of the church is destroyed. And the church is no longer, the church is no longer something that is supra- national it's just hey you know what canada invaded the u.s screw canada yeah right and the church then becomes simply identified with a national with a nationality or with a government that's that's the antithesis of the message of the new testament that the faith even though we know there's going to be bad bishops etc 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 we correct that but that doesn't mean that we don't need the Pope. The Pope is the symbol of the unity of a faith and not just the symbol, but he is the cause in some way. He's one of the causes of a faith that is, that unites people across languages, political philosophies, um, 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Gosh. Because otherwise, yeah, then your national church expands. Roman style, like you start. Yeah. Take over the world. Yeah. Oh, man. So my last line for today is I probably said something heretical today. I, I don't know what it was, but I probably did. Because these are really deep waters. So if you're listening, I know that I probably said something stupid because these are very dense subjects uh, about church and state relations and the idea of a Christian society. But I hope they were thought-provoking. Yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good face. I mean, that's it's deep stuff. Yeah. But it also, you know, it does show how it's not just a simple cause and effect of what's happening worldwide. And yeah. I mean, it is deep history. It is. All right. Well, we're praying for Ukraine. <sighs> we pray for God to end the war there uh, for, and for human beings to end it, honestly, to buy the influence of God and by his grace. And what um, about right there? That's another one. Like, can you, obviously you can, but should you say like praying for Russia, I guess, for a conversion? Yeah, absolutely. Like, okay. I, th- I think a great prayer is just, we pray for people to be conformed to the will of God. Right. Yeah. Like, this, this praying was, for someone doesn't mean you like them. Right. Right. It might mean you like them. It might not, you know, right. Like when people have a hard time, like, how do I pray for my dad who is awful and abusive? Yeah. What I say is imagine if your dad was the person he was created to be. Yeah. That's a great, that's what we're praying for. Imagine, you know, if, if Putin, imagine if tomorrow he put on sackcloth and ashes and publicly went crawling on his knees or, you know, kneeling and I don't know what you would call it, but he's walking on his knees through the streets of Ukraine, begging for forgiveness. That'd be awesome. I I hope he does that tomorrow. Man, that's heavy. This whole thing is just so heavy. It's so real. Yeah. I guess where it's just a lot for me to stomach. Yep. All right, friends. Patrick's still digesting. I, I'm going to be <laughs> reeling on this <laughs> yes. one for a while. And I think we've gone long. I can't tell. He hit the nope. computer screen for me. So I don't know how much, how long we've gone. We are at an hour. Wow. Okay. I thought, I, th- I thought we were like an hour 20. Hour. No, no. We're still there. Okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> thanks for listening. I need like a, we need to provide, <laughs> we need to provide a document to our listeners for this one of like the time, like whiteboard timeline right. of how to understand this. So you're, you throw out some dates in that thing. That was, that was impressive. Well, if I had if I had more time, I would have prepared more, but, uh, but I have been reading this great book and I do know a little bit of the history of Constantine's donation. And if, if you know what that is, you're a nerd like me, but, um, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, any follow-up questions to that email rant <laughs> at lordsdenver.org. I will be yeah. emailing in mine and uh, yeah, post Ash Wednesday. Hope everyone had a phenomenal Ash Wednesday going into Lent. Amen. We're in Lent. All right, everybody. So <sighs> emails rant at lordsdenver.org uh, and we will see you next time. Later.